I do want to echo Pastor Mike's announcement this morning about the deacon ordination tonight. Uh, very special time in the life of our church. Be here at uh, 6 o'clock or be online with us if you can. Uh, or if you can't be here but you can be online, do that. 6 o'clock tonight we'll ordain two of our men into the deacon ministry at First Baptist Church. It's a special time for them and a special time in their families and for the life of our church. These are people that you have said yes that we, we want to see them. We believe God's raising them up in our midst to be leaders. So be here tonight for that. Uh, also want to uh, underscore next Sunday night, the 24th, our budget discussion. We will vote on our budget following the worship service Sunday morning, the 31st. So Sunday night, the 24th, is set aside as a discussion time. Uh, you'll be presented with the 2022 budget, and you'll have an opportunity to ask questions uh, surrounding the budget. So I want to very much encourage you to be here for that and to stay on the 31st and participate as we vote to adopt the budget. But the night of the 24th is your opportunity to ask those questions. So please be sure and be here to do that. You can be online with us as well for that. Find in your Bible with me again the book of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah. Find chapter 3, hold your place there. Jonah chapter 3, hold your place there. Uh, we are on the home stretch of our series in the book of Jonah. God's talking about God's relentless love, uh, how he loves his creation, how he, how he pursues us even when we turn our backs on him. Disobedient believers, he's in pursuit of you. Unbelieving uh, or disbelieving folks, he's in pursuit of you. God loves you that much. We've been talking about that. We'll wrap up this series next week. Then on the 31st, Sunday falls on the Halloween I'm going to do a message that I'm just calling uh, uh, a Christian response to Halloween. I almost forgot what I was calling it. A Christian response to Halloween. So we'll do that on the 31st. Then after that, we're going to do uh, a series looking at our culture and what the Bible says about ingratitude. I mentioned this in the uh, November newsletter coming out. Uh, but let me go ahead and say that one of the things the Bible actually says will happen in our culture as we move toward the last days, is that is ingratitude will be on the rise. People are ungrateful. And we'll explore in that series why that's the case and why it's indicative of the last days and why it, it accelerates in the last days and also what we can do about it to ensure in this Thanksgiving season we are people of gratitude. So that's what we're going to do after Halloween. But this morning, next week, we're wrapping up our series in the book of Jonah. You'll remember last time we came into chapter 3, God called Jonah again, uh, an almost identical call from the original call of Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites, the Assyrians in the city of Nineveh. The first time Jonah fled, God pulled him back, uh, called him, and then in chapter 3 calls him back from his disobedience into obedience. And this time, Jonah responds obediently. He does what God calls him to do. We saw that last time, reminding ourselves as believers that if we are disobedient to God, God wants us back. God pursues us. He wants us back. And he will bring us back to obedience so we can serve him. So we're going to pick up in chapter 3 and verse 3 as now we move to the city of Nineveh. And here we're going to see how God works in the life of people who don't know him, but who respond to him. There's a basic truth we're going to explore this morning, 
And it's very simple. It's that God always responds to your response to God. God always responds to your response to God. How many of you went to Chick-fil-A since it opened up? Look at you. You had to do it, didn't you? How many of you got stuck at Chick-fil-A after you went to Chick-fil-A? Yeah, you're there a little while. Some people are still there. We know that. But you remember, rewind, I bet as long as I have lived here, people have said, we might get a Chick-fil-A in Shalom. And we have all responded, we will believe it when we see it. We'll believe it when we see it. Time goes on. Uh, People talk about it more. Then suddenly one day last year, the trailer shows up across the highway with the Chick-fil-A sign. And then it's posted on Facebook. And those of us that are still a little bit maybe skeptical, well, we'll, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. Then they start clearing the land. They start actually taking action that looks like one day it's going to be a Chick-fil-A. And then they start building the Chick-fil-A. That's when our skepticism melts just a bit. This is really going to happen. It's really going to happen because they're actually building a Chick-fil-A. And they built it and they finished it. And we waited. And we waited. And then we got the notice. October 14th, Shiloh Chick-fil-A would open up. You could hear the angels sing throughout Shiloh. Very basic truth of human nature. Action demonstrates commitment. I'll believe it when I see it. When you take action, then tell me you're committed. When you start to take action, I start to believe you're committed, but when you follow through is when I know that you're committed. Why is that part of basic human nature? We get it from God. Action demonstrates commitment. God is telling us all the time throughout Scripture, action demonstrates commitment. Action demonstrates commitment. That's why, by the way, at First Baptist Church and so many like-minded churches, we ask you to take action to demonstrate commitments. That's why we have a Connect card. That's why there's a Next Steps card online. That's why we urge one another all the time to follow through with what we believe. Do something of faith that shows you're more than just intention. You're more than just talk. There's a commitment, and you want to take action to show that commitment. Because let's be honest, intention is not the same thing as commitment. There's a lot of things we intend to do that we never do. There are things we even say we will do that we never do. We wait, we think, we ruminate, I've got to pray about it more, I might do that, I intend to do that one day, someday I'll do that, we don't do it. And our actions show our lack of commitment, or more likely our inaction shows our lack of commitment because action always demonstrates commitment. And if you show me a person that's following through with their, with their commitment by their actions, their hands, their feet, their study, their depth, their words, they're, they're showing up and they're doing what they say they're going to do, that's commitment. That's follow through. That's commitment. Because God designed us that way. And because God designed us that way, God calls us out on that, and God expects that of us. Action demonstrates commitment. Tell them your intentions all day long. God's still calling you to action, to commitment, and to demonstrate that. As we return to the book of Jonah this morning, what we're going to see is that Jonah's 
message to the Ninevites, a message of repentance. In 40 days, you will be destroyed, demolished, as we'll read it, leads to them taking action, which leads to God responding to their response, responding to their action. Tuck it away. Remember this. God always responds to your response to God. And that's true of everyone. God is at work in the lives of the Ninevites and the lives of the Phoenician sailors and in the lives in the life of Jonah because he is our creator. He loves lost people. He loves saved people. He loves all people. And he wants all people to respond to him, not intending to respond, but to actually respond and to do that through actions of faith that demonstrate that response and that commitment. And when we do that, as we'll read in a moment, God always responds to our response to God. Look at this with me. Jonah chapter 3. We're going to pick up right in the middle of verse 3. The Bible says, Now now Nineveh was an extremely great city. You'll remember from last week, that speaks of the size of the city, not its significance. Extremely great city. A three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Now right there, great means significance, not size. From the greatest of them to the least. Verse 6. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. History records very little about the Assyrians, those are the people of Nineveh, in the time period of Jonah. There's very little Assyrian history from that time. But scholars tell us that the story of Jonah takes place when there is a lot of other uh, actions taking place in history, a lot of events in history that would have impacted the Assyrians. For example, there were famines around the land. There was economic instability. There were other, other nations and armies pressing themselves in on the Assyrians. There was threat of conquest around them all the time. So the nation was somewhat unstable, and they were fighting various problems and events on different fronts, And the city of Nineveh, the great city in Assyria, would not have been any stranger to these issues and these pressures. Now, in the minds of people of the ancient world, all of those events, all of those occurrences of nature would have been conducted and orchestrated by the gods that they worshipped. That was their mindset. They attributed everything going on to their gods, and they sought to appease those gods. They also knew of the Jewish people. And when Jonah arrived, he would have dressed as a Jewish prophet. He would have stood out among the Assyrians as a Jew, as an Israelite. And he would have dressed as a Jewish prophet. In fact, it's quite likely, we have have a condensed version of what happened here, but it's quite likely when he entered the city, he actually, by custom, would have greeted the nobles of the city and let them know he was there. 
But the Bible says he wasted no time in preaching this very simple sermon to the people of Nineveh. In 40 days, you're going to be demolished. Now, the Ninevites connected that with the events going on around them and with Jonah's God. And much like the Phoenician sailors, they realized that Jonah's God may very well be the one true God. He may be the God of the land and of the nations. Remember, the Phoenicians realized suddenly he was the God of creation and the God of the sea. He was the God they had feared all along. The Ninevites have a very similar response to what's happening in the message of Jonah. Jonah is, it's as if Jonah, this Israelite, had walked in the door and he knows all the calamity and events they're already suffering and he puts an exclamation point on it. You've got 40 days. And then, the, then you will be demolished. The term translated demolished is very literally overthrown or overturned, which is precisely the greatest fear of any nation of the ancient world and obviously of today as well. It's why we have standing armies. So other armies can't come in and invade us and overturn our nation. That's how the Assyrians took this message that they were just about to collapse. Most likely in 40 days, they would be invaded and destroyed by another army. They would be wiped from the planet. And they attribute this to Jonah's God. They were right to do so. They were right to do so. The Bible then says when they responded by their actions, verse 10, God responded to their actions. The King James Version of the Bible translates a Hebrew term that we read here as relent. The King James Bible translated it for centuries as repent. And that's kind of unfortunate because we understand in Scripture that repentance comes from a person who realizes their condition before God uh, and they need to repent, confess of their sins and, and turn around and come back. In other words, a person who's done something wrong. So it implies that God suddenly realized he'd done something wrong and repented of that. And that's not what the text means. What the text means is that God responded to their response. And God's response was wholly consistent, absolutely consistent with his character and his nature. As we read it, the Bible said that God did not do it. What did he not do? He did not do what he had threatened them with. The phrase translated threatened them with means that there was an order of events that was arranged in advance that would take place. It was a, an outcome, if you want to call it this, a predetermined outcome based on their actions and behavior. If they continue in evil and sin, there is an outcome to that because God has already arranged that outcome. That's what's going to happen. But if they repent of their sin and confess their sin and turn and come back to him, if their actions demonstrate repentance, there is an arranged outcome to that. God responded to their actions. God responded to their response to him and to knowing who he was and what was going to happen if they continued down the road that they were on. The word translated relent can also mean, and I like this, that God was comforted by their response. Isn't that beautiful? God was comforted by their response. God was able to change this outcome and go with this outcome because of their response to him. Both of them are in God's character. 
This is what the Bible teaches us consistently. The Bible teaches if you continue down a road of sin, even though God has told you of your sin, even though you've been called to confess of your sin, you will face consequences for that sin. And the Bible also says that when you confess your sin, God is faithful and righteous to forgive you. God has arranged the outcomes because of our actions and our decisions. And once we know the truth, we must respond according to that truth. According to that truth. God always responds to your response to God. Always. Let's go back to the story for just a minute. I want us to see the, the actions that God responds to as they are evidenced here in this story and in this scripture. The actions that God responds to. Now, now as we're getting ready to do this, well, let me mention uh, something else, by the way, that, that I want you to just tuck away, just write it in the margin of your, of your worship guide, because it's important to keep this in mind in, in the big picture. Notice that God notices the sins of the nations. God notices all sin. We need to keep that in mind, don't we? As a people, but also as a nation. No sin is off his radar. No evil is off his radar. God knows the sins of the nation. And God promises judgment for sins. But also notice when God notices those sins, what does he do? He sends, sends his preacher, his prophet, with the word of God to tell them. The person he's entrusted with his message to tell people to repent, to come back, to be forgiven. He's entrusted that message to you and me now, to, to the church, to the people of God. And we have a culture and a world collapsing around us that no doubt is facing judgment. Are we telling them? Are we telling them? He's entrusted that word to us. And it's the word of God that gets the response of the people. The absolutes, the promises of God that gets that response. So what actions does God respond to? When, when you undertake actions that demonstrate your commitment, in this story can we see what actions God can respond to or God will respond to? Yes, let me give you an example. First of all, God responds when your actions show urgency. God responds when your actions show urgency. Uh, the Ninevites, following the king's example, respond immediately. As soon as the message is out, as soon as Jonah's preached three days, and as soon as the message reaches the king, he responds immediately. And he requires everyone else to respond just as he has responded. That's good leadership, isn't it? It is. The king says, we're all going to do this. We're all going to respond this way. But he responds immediately. It mirrors the promptness of Jonah's return to obedience. Remember the first time Jonah's called, the Bible says he got up and he went to Tarshish, ran away from God. The second time, chapter 3, verse 1, when he's called, his Bible says he got up and he went to Nineveh to obey God. Promptness, we learned last week. But we have to believe that when we're confronted with our sin, there's an urgency in the matter. There's an urgency in the matter. We are responsible for what we know. 
when we know it. And when God reveals to us through his word, through friends, uh, through conviction in our hearts, if God reveals to us our sin, there's an urgency to come back to him. And, and Jesus told us regularly there's an urgency to reaching a lost generation. We're responsible for taking the word of God to the, pe to the people around us in our culture. He said the fields are ripe for harvest. We need laborers to get out there. There's an urgency to this matter. To tell people about Christ, to tell people about God, to tell people what the word of God says. And God responds when our actions show our urgency. Now, there's another reason to remember this, by the way. It's very important. Uh, we have a tendency to think, well, I'll, uh, God is telling me there's sin in my life. God is telling me I need to make changes in my life. God is telling me there's habits he's unpleased with, that, uh, all those things. And then we say, well, I've got time. Uh, and I don't want to come to God when I'm messed up, and I don't want to come to God until I'm better, and I don't want to come to God now, I'm too busy. But there's an urgency to the matter. There's an urgency to the matter. The Bible also teaches that it's possible to run out of time. It's possible to run out of time if you wait too long. God responds to us when we show urgency. Second, God responds to actions that show humility. That show humility. As we read it, Beginning with the greatest, that is the king, all the way to the least, that is the paupers. Everybody in between, under the king's direction, did two things. They fasted. Even the animals were required to fast. That is, taking no food or liquids. And all the people there put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is, is threaded throughout the Bible. It's a demonstration of humility and repentance. It basically was wearing burlap clothes. I don't recommend it. Don't run out and do that. But basically, that's what it is. It's wearing burlap clothes. But pay attention to this. It was from the greatest to the least. The king did not sit on his throne and say, I'm going to decree to everyone else what you must do to please this God, what you must do to save our nation. It doesn't apply to me. I'm the king. I'm too big for this. I'm too great for this. The Bible says that it started with him. He shed his royalty, shed his royal robes, he put on sackcloth, he himself fasted, and he decreed to the whole nation to do what he was going to do and what he was doing at that time. Everyone had to do it. Humility. You know, the Bible says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humility is a condition of the heart. It's it may result in an outward expression, but God knows your heart. He knows my heart, and he's looking for that humility in our heart that starts with this. I realize now that God has shown me there's sin in my life. There's a problem with me. God's shown me this. I will not ignore it. He is God. I am not. I will bow to him. I will bow to him. That's our expression uh, like fasting or wearing sackcloth, it's bowing your heart, it's even, sometimes even bowing your knee, it's bowing to your God, submitting yourself to Him and saying, you are God and you are right, I've made a mess of it. The opposite of that is saying consistently, which many believers do, 
We do it all the time. We say, God, I don't really have a problem. So-and-so's got the problem, not me. I don't really have a problem. I'm doing pretty good. I come to church as often as I can or that I want to or when I don't want to sleep in. And I rally up with other Christians. I'm even in a Bible study. I might serve on a committee. God, I'm in a pretty good place here. Nothing wrong with me. The Bible says God actively opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Jesus talked about this over and over and over. And one of the most telling places and memorable places, he he spoke of the difference between humility and pride, is when they were in the marketplace, he was there with his disciples, and he pointed out religious leaders who liked to walk through the marketplace wearing clothes like sackcloth with ashes on their head, moaning and groaning, showing how religious and showing how humble they were. The problem was it was all an outward appearance, and there was no change of heart. Humility is a place where you can't substitute the action for the truth. But the truth will always produce an action. The truth will always produce an action. If you've got a pride problem, God will show you that. And he'll show you that by saying, you haven't been bowing to me. You haven't been submitting to me. Submit your finances to me. Submit your marriage to me. Uh, submit your family to me. Submit your children to me. Submit your worship to me. Submit your time to me. God says. God responds to actions that show your humility. The Bible says, humble yourself before God and he will exalt you at the proper time. The Bible teaches that the person who walks through life in pride, the believer who walks through life with pride, I'm okay, I'm doing great, I'll make my own decisions never gets put in the place that God intends for them to be to serve. But the believer who says, God, I will do what you want me to do. I will serve where you want me to serve. I will humble myself with you. God, cleanse me of my sin. I confess I'm a sinner. God, cleanse me. God raises them up to a place that God wants them to serve. Puts them in places God wants them to serve. Puts them in relationships where God wants them to meet people. God can use that humble person, but God opposes the proud. Just like with the people of Nineveh, when God is showing you sin in your life, it's time to humble yourself, to stop saying, I can handle this, I'm doing okay. It's time to agree with God, which is what confession is, agree with God, I'm not okay. God, and I I confess my sin before you. God responds to actions that show urgency, that show Humility. And then third, God responds to actions that show responsibility. I take responsibility for what I have done. Just as God holds us accountable and responsible for what we know, it's when we know it. That urgency and that responsibility are woven together. And when God shows you in your life something he wants to change, something hindering that relationship with him. When God shows you there's something you need to confess in your life, don't be tempted to pass it off to someone else. Well, it's their fault. They're the problem. They did that. Why don't you get on them, God? In an age when we tend to blame everybody else for everything else, 
God calls us to account for us. Did you know the whole book of Hebrews is about that one thing, that you are responsible to God for your relationship with God? And it boils down to this. This this is why I'm your pastor and I'm not your priest. I'm not your go-between. Jesus Christ is your go-between. You are responsible to God. You, for you, are responsible to God. My job is to guide you. My job is to teach you. My job is to equip you for ministry. But you are responsible to God for you. So don't go home and and say to God, well, well, the, the pastor didn't tell me the right thing. The pastor didn't make me happy. The pastor didn't make me feel good. Those church people are all hypocrites. Because God's response is always going to be the same thing. Really? What about you? You let me worry about them. Let's talk about you. Because you are responsible for you to God. You're responsible for you to God. We return to the, from the greatest to the least. And as we read it, everyone in Nineveh, everyone in Nineveh took responsibility for their part in the repentance, for their part That means for their part in the evil and in the sin. Every person in Nineveh repented and showed it with sackcloth and with ashes. Every person in Nineveh participated when the king called them out to do it. No one sat back and said, well, it's it's his fault. Uh, It's not my fault, not my problem. I didn't do this. Everyone acknowledged individually their responsibility. God holds us accountable. When he shows us our sin, our habits that need to change, when he shows us what he wants to do in our lives, God holds us accountable, personally responsible. And when we agree and take action on that responsibility that God has shown us, that's when God can do a work in our lives. That's when God can show up, cleanse us, fill us with the Spirit in a fresh way, and start to do a work in our lives. A young lady, 24 years old, named Chloe, decided to take a trip to Hawaii last month. Now, in Hawaii, there is a 10-day quarantine for, every, for all travel. So when you arrive in Hawaii, you, you've got to quarantine for 10 days, a COVID quarantine for 10 days if you arrive in Hawaii. Well, Chloe didn't want to do that. So Chloe manufactured, and this, by the way, is for the unvaccinated. I should add that. Obviously, the unvaccinated in Hawaii have to quarantine for 10 days. So Chloe manufactured a a vaccine card, proof of a Moderna vaccination. She arrived in Hawaii at the airport. They have to go in Hawaii. You have to go through a testing station. Uh, And if you are not vaccinated, you don't show your proof of vaccination, they send you off to quarantine. If you show proof of vaccination, they send you out into Hawaii. So she showed her proof of vaccination, and the officials in the airport raised one eyebrow at it. Something wasn't quite right, but they still let her go. They didn't have a reason to detain her, so they let her go into Hawaii. But then they called back Delaware, the officials in Delaware, where she had come from, and they said they had no record whatsoever of Chloe ever receiving a vaccine on record in Delaware. And then they put that with the thing that had caught their attention in the first place, and what had caught their attention in the first place was on the vaccine card where it said she had received a Moderna vaccination. It was spelled M-A, Moderna, not M-O, Moderna. They finally called up with Miss Chloe, and they brought her in, and her response was, no, 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 
I got my vaccine from my doctor personally at their office. It's their fault. They didn't write it down or send in the information, and they filled out the vaccine card. If they misspelled it, that's not my problem. And they fined her $2,000 and sent her home. It is a symptom of our nature and of our country and of our community and of our families that we want to blame other people. And it started with Adam and Eve. Eve blamed Adam. Adam. Eve blamed the snake. Adam blamed Eve. You know how it goes. We just blame each other. And we do that because we're sinners. We even sometimes blame God. Say, God, this is your fault. It's your fault. Adam did that. You gave me the woman. Must be your fault. But when God shows you sin in your life, God says, you're responsible for that. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? A believer in Christ, I want to extend to you an opportunity to say, yes, God, you're right. If God's been showing you sin in your life, as God's been showing you that uh, he, he's not using you in ministry, he's not guiding you forward, he's not doing what he wants to do in your life because there's a pride problem in your life, because you see no reason to take responsibility. If there's sin in your life, if there are habits in your life God wants you to cleanse, confess that to him. Come back to him and say, God, you're right. Let him cleanse that in your life. Let him start over with you today. To those that have never trusted Christ as your Savior, in-house or at home, you need to know God loves you so much, He's in pursuit of you. He loves you because He made you. He created you. You belong to Him. And He wants you back. And you cannot ignore the fact that now you know you need Christ as your Savior. You can't put it off till tomorrow. You can't put it off to next year. You can't keep saying, I'll do that some other time. Because God holds you accountable for what you know. And you know that you need Christ as your Savior. You know you need to come to Him or come back to Him. You know this, and God holds you accountable for that. He's not going to leave you alone until you come back. And He wants you back because He loves you that much. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you believers in Christ. I'm going to pray that if God is showing you anything in your heart you need to confess, you'll remember He is faithful and righteous to forgive you when you confess that sin to Him. In the quiet of your heart, in the quiet of your room, the closed, behind closed doors, God is faithful and righteous to forgive you. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray a prayer with you in just a minute and offer you an opportunity to do just that. To say, you know what? God has been speaking to my heart. He knows. He knows my heart. And he knows I need to trust Christ. I've never done that. I'm not going to put it off any longer. There's an urgency to this that I would trust Christ as my Savior. I'll pray with you as well in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we pause in this place today, God, because we know you know our hearts. And God, you always respond to our response. For believers in Christ today, God, I pray for us that today we would respond to your love, to your forgiveness by confessing the sin in our lives. God, we are responsible for us. We're not responsible for everybody else, but we're responsible for us. So God, quietly in the humility of our hearts, God, we turn all that over to you. We ask for your forgiveness. We turn over to you our lives, our relationships, our finances, our work, our worries, our fears. We turn all that over to you, God, today. You are our God. And Father, faithfully in Christ, we come back to you asking your forgiveness 
believing you for cleansing and forgiveness, God. We know you're doing a work today. God, I thank you for that. And maybe right here in-house or at home, Father, there are some that today would confess Christ as their Savior for the very first time. Now, God, they've known the gospel. They know Jesus died on the cross for them, but they keep thinking, I've got plenty of time, or they keep thinking, I don't need to do that. But, Father, maybe their sin haunts them, and they know they need to be forgiven. Maybe they know they need to come back to you, their loving Creator. So today, God, I pray for them and with them that they would put all their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to surrender to Christ today, repent of their sins, and come back to you. With this prayer, God, I pray they would pray along with me in faith. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am. And I can't save myself. No matter how hard I try to be good, nothing changes. And God, I know that I want to change these things. And I know that I'm responsible for it. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me because I'm a sinner. And God, you raised Jesus from the grave and he's alive today. So my prayer of faith today is, Jesus, you would come into my life, into my heart. Forgive me of my sin as you promised to do. Cleanse me. And I commit my life to follow Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us today, if we've made fresh commitments to you, that we would follow through in actions today. Filling out a next steps card putting in that connect card into the, into the box or bringing it forward, whatever you're calling us to do, God, that we would take those steps. And maybe there's other steps we need to take, God. Maybe you're calling us out to change a habit. We need to go home. We need to change that habit. We need to do what you're calling us to do. So, Father, I pray whatever you put on our hearts, God, we would do that. And, God, help us to take that action that illustrates our repentance and our forgiveness in Christ. That, God, you would use us in a mighty way from this day forward. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.